You know, I haven't heard them sing it lately, but our kids used to love to sing Father Abraham. Now, I'm sure the reason was the actions that went with it and probably not the words themselves, but the words are very important. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you, and I'm not going to demonstrate the actions, but I do want us to look at the words as an introduction to the message from Galatians this morning. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Now, historically, that is very true. Father Abraham did have many sons, or perhaps we should say he had many descendants. The Hebrew people, the Jews, have always taken pride in the fact that they are sons of Abraham, and the Muslims do as well. Jews trace their lineage through Isaac, the son of promise, and Muslims through Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn. Abraham was also the father of six sons through Keturah, who became his wife after the death of Sarah. And six Arab tribes came from them. So Father Abraham indeed had many sons. In fact, when he was 99 years old, God changed his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. And he did so because he was going to make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. So the part of the song that says Father Abraham had many sons makes sense. But why would Christian kids sing, I am one of them and so are you, some 4,000 years after his death? And why would they get excited about it and shout, so let's just praise the Lord and then raise their right hand and then raise their right foot and their left hand and then sit down and turn around and sing the song again and again. Well, obviously, raising hands and feet and turning around and sitting down, uh, we understand they're kids having fun. But again, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about being a son of Abraham? Well, the big deal, quite frankly, is that being a son of Abraham is to be heir of his promises and blessings, promises God made to him and blessings he bestowed upon him. Those promises and blessings are very significant, and anyone who hears of them would no doubt want to be a son, an heir to them. Now, we should note that one aspect of the promises gets, in my opinion, an undue amount of attention. And that's how the promises might relate to the land of Israel today. Now, I don't want to rehash all the problems with a millennial view that insists that Jesus will come back to a physical temple in Jerusalem this morning. I don't want to go into that. If you want to study the matter in detail, I've got books. You're welcome to explore the uh, conflicting views uh, on your own. But what everyone does agree on 
is that everyone who understands the fundamental premise of the promises would want to be a son of Abraham. And that's as true today as it was in Paul's day. And the Judaizers were playing on that, promising Gentile converts that they could become sons of Abraham if they would be circumcised and become Jewish. Doing so, however, put them back under the law. And that's why Paul countered their argument by making it clear that anyone could become a son of Abraham. And they could do so without circumcision, without keeping the law, and without being born into a particular family. That means we can become sons and daughters of Abraham and heirs of his promises and blessings. So how do we become sons of Abraham? Quite simply, we become sons of Abraham by faith. We're in Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, even so, ties this with what went before. Paul had made it clear that the Galatians had come into their relationship with God through faith, and the same was true of Abraham. Abraham believed God. When God told Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a place to which God would direct him, he went. He believed God. He trusted him, and he took off without maps or GPS. He took God at his word and did what he asked. Then when God told him to look at the stars and try to count them, God told him that he would make his descendants like that, too numerous to count. And Abraham believed him, even though he was in his 70s at the time and childless. And Moses told us that because Abraham believed in the Lord, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, Moses did not say that God changed Abraham into a righteous man. He said he reckoned him to be a righteous man. The fact that Abraham did not become perfectly righteous was clearly demonstrated 10 years later when he had a crisis of faith and took matters into his own hands. Thinking his wife too old to bury him a child, he decided to help God keep his promise by having a child through his wife's handmaid. That led to problems we're still dealing with today between Arabs and Jews. In spite of his less than perfect obedience, and less than perfect faith, God considered him 
be righteous. He reckoned him to be righteous because he took God at his word. On the basis of his faith, Abraham became the friend of God. That's amazing. But it doesn't end there. Paul says all of those who are of faith can become sons of Abraham. In other words, what makes it possible to become sons of Abraham is not physical lineage, it's spiritual lineage. Abraham entered into a special relationship with his father in heaven through faith. And we enter into a special relationship with Abraham as well as with our mutual heavenly father through faith. Now, while God did make a great nation from physical sons of Abraham, in fact, many great nations, his ultimate purpose was not to populate the earth with tribes that sprang from Abraham's loins. It was to populate the earth and heaven itself people who share the faith that Abraham placed in God. That's why God told Abraham that all the nations would be blessed in him, and that included the Gentiles, the ones that the Jews would later come to despise. In spite of what most Jews thought, when God made a special nation, of Abraham's earthly family, he wasn't trying to cut people off from himself. He was simply creating a channel through which he could bless all families of the earth. Now, the Jews forgot that, but Abraham knew it. For as God noted, as Paul noted, God preached the gospel to him. God shared with Abraham the good news that anyone could come into relationship with him through faith, that even Gentiles could be justified if they exhibited the same kind of faith Abraham had. After all, Abraham was a Gentile when God justified him, when he called him his friend and made promises to him. And God desires the same relationship with everyone. We can all become sons of Abraham and friends of God by trusting him. So where does the law fit in to all this? The Judaizers were insisting that in order to be blessed, a person had to come under the law, that the law was the way to friendship with God. And, and they made it sound reasonable. You know, it makes sense to think you become God's friend by doing what he wants. But in reality, all the law does is make it impossible to become a friend of God because no one can do everything God wants. You know, if doing everything God wants, as revealed in the law, is the basis of friendship with God, we are doomed. In fact, we are under a curse. Paul continues. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that 
no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by them. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Now, that was a shocking statement for Paul to make. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. The Jews taught that those without the law were under a curse. But Paul says those who try to live under the law are under a curse. And he quotes scripture to prove it. In Deuteronomy, Moses declared that anyone who didn't abide by the law was under a curse. And he made it clear that the law had to be taken as a whole. You had to keep all of it. Everything the law said, you had to do. If you didn't, you were under a curse. And the curse was severe. In the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, we find delineated a number of curses, consequences of disobedience. And it's a horrible list. But it ends with separation from God. So you can't be a friend of God on the basis of the law unless you keep it all, and no one can do it. However, Paul will make it clear that the law was never intended to be the basis of a man's relationship with God. Again, this was a shocker to the Jews and the Judaizers. They assumed the law was given to tell men what they had to do to become a friend of God, forgetting, of course, that Abraham became a friend of God some 400 years before the law was given. Again, Paul proved his point with Scripture. He quoted Habakkuk 2.4 to show that even under the old covenant, a righteous man lived by faith. Sometimes we get the idea that in the old covenant, they lived by the law and we live by faith. No, the saints from the Old Testament lived by faith as well. Faith is the only way you can come into relationship with the Holy God. It's the only, only way. And what Habakkuk and Paul are saying is that man shall live by faith. And when they say live by faith, they're talking even more than just living here. It means to live eternally. The righteous man, the one God views as righteous, the man who has been justified by faith, will live eternally because of his faith. And he will do so because of his trust in the fact that God has justified him, has made him righteous, has made him acceptable to himself. That's how we get to live forever, as friends of God. And that's the way Abraham did it. But again, what of the law? Can't you, you know, have faith in the law and what God will do through the law and thus be justified? Paul says, no, absolutely not. No one can come before God on the basis of their obedience, of their goodness. It's not of the law. It's of faith. The law is, is not of faith. It's of doing. Your relationship with the law is not based upon your belief in the law, but upon your obedience to it. It's not enough to say, well, I believe in the law. No, you got to obey the law. That's the nature of law. 
you know, when stopped by a Chatham officer who's in the church parking lot waiting for speeders, which I know from firsthand experience can happen, it's not enough to affirm that you believe in the law. You must obey it or face the consequences or hope for a very gracious officer. That's Paul's argument. If you want to base your relationship with God on law, fine, theoretically, it's possible to live by the law. You know, there's a righteous man in the New Testament, Jesus encountered, who said, I've done it all. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It's possible, if you did it all, that you could earn your eternal life, if you practice it perfectly, without failure, but no one can do so. So the law, rather than saving us, puts us under a curse. It condemns us. It cuts us off from God. It breaks our relationship with God. The law prevents us from becoming friends of God because we cannot meet its demands. We cannot measure up. That's why we must come to him on a different basis altogether. We must come to him on the basis of faith. And Jesus makes that possible for anyone, Jew, Muslim, or Gentile. Anyone can become a friend of God. And they do so, again, not because they're the best people on earth, they do so through faith in Christ and what he did for them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that Christ Jesus, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What did Christ do? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law had us under a curse. Since we could not measure up, it condemned us. It put us under the curse of God. Jesus redeemed us. He got rid of the curse for us. How did he do so? He did so by taking the curse upon himself, by becoming a curse in our place. That's what he did on the cross. On the cross, he publicly displayed himself as cursed for our sin. He wasn't cursed for his own sin. He was sinless. But he took upon himself our curse and made it evident to all that he was cursed by allowing himself to be hung on the cross. For as the Old Testament declares, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It's an unusual statement. But it's not saying that 
People were cursed as a result of being hung on a tree. They were hung on a tree because they were cursed. When Jesus was crucified, he was essentially hung on a tree. Now, crucifixion wasn't in practice when the law was written. So what did it mean when the law referred to being hung on a tree? Well, during the Old Testament period, condemned men were generally stoned to death or executed some other way. But after stoning or beheading, their bodies were hung on a tree or on a wall until sundown so everyone could see them. And it was done so all would know that their death was the result of being condemned, being cursed under the law. That they had come under not only the curse of the law, but the curse of God. That's what it meant. They were displayed as having been cursed. Now, what wasn't understood was that everyone was under that curse, that everyone deserves to be hung on a tree. But Jesus understood that, and that's why he came. He came to take that curse upon himself. He came to make it possible for anyone to have the curse that's theirs removed and placed on him for the curse to be placed on the only one who could bear it and still live. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He did so, so the curse could be removed. So we could share in the blessings of Abraham and become friends. so we could be justified, so we could be made clean in God's eyes and be made into fit vessels for his Holy Spirit to inhabit. All of that was made possible, not through the law, but through the cross of Christ. It was made possible through faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it's through such faith that we become sons of Abraham. We become sons of Abraham by believing that God can and will do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. That he can make us into someone considered righteous enough to become a friend of God. How amazing is that? Jesus makes it possible for us to be viewed as if we are perfect. So we can enter into fellowship with a perfect God while living here and throughout eternity. 
That is the good news of Christ. That's the difference between living under a law and living under faith. It's through faith we become sons of Abraham. We become sons of Abraham by believing that God will do what he says he'll do. That we can become his friend. I can't imagine anything more exciting than to hear God say, Rick, you're my friend. Is that awesome? Don't you want to hear that? Scott, do you hear that? Scotty, he'll call you, he'll call you Scotty. Like your dad. They say, Scotty, you are my friend. How amazing is that? Say that to yourself. I mean, out loud, right now. I want everybody to, to, to use your name and say, Rick, I'm God's friend. Go ahead, say it. Don't say Rick, say you. <laughs> Come on, say it. Go ahead. I want to hear some rumbling here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me be called the friend of God. Whew. That's enough to make me want to stick a right hand up and a right foot out and turn around and sit down and say, let's just praise the Lord. <laughs> That's what we have in Christ. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. That's my prayer. You are too. If you're not, you can become one today. I invite you to express your faith in Christ and what he did for you on the cross. I invite you to become a son of Abraham by acknowledging that the way of the cross leads home. That the cross is what makes it possible for you to come back into the family of God. That it's the cross that makes it possible for you to become a son of Abraham and heir of the promises of God. The way of the cross leads home. That's what the cross means to us. Let's be reminded of that in song.